يا شفاتة ويا كنداكة <تصفيق> اهلا ويلكم اور ويلكم باك تو فقلت لي شنو؟ اسولو بودكاست وير تروثفلي وي ديسبرتلي ونت هاف جيست اون بت اولسو لايك سفر فروم سوشيال انزايتي سو يو نو ذات مايت نوت اكزاكتلي بي ايزي تو اكمبلش بت ات از هوستد باي مي يور هوست ساره اي نو كلمة كنداكا دي كلنا كرهنا كشعب انا غيرته كرهتها صراحه along with the term شفاته but i needed to use it because it goes along with today's uh, theme what we're going to talk about today and speaking of what we're going to talk about today i had a really hard time deciding what topic to discuss in this episode i say this every episode every episode i have a hard time every episode i'm struggling and yet we're still here alhamdulillah But anyway, because I had such a hard time coming up with a topic, it was very tempting to record like another chaotic ranting stream of consciousness episode like last time. But alhamdulillah, I didn't do that. <laughs> Just letting you know. Because I wanted to challenge myself to produce something a little more structured. Like as painful as the writing process is, once I'm past the hurdle of writer's block, I really get into it and I like coming up with something, you know, not just like off the cuff. Off the cuff is nice, but I also like producing something and like making something that's a little more thoughtful, just doing a little more. And of the many is my complicated feelings surrounding the current state of affairs in Sudan. I won't get too much into it, seeing as I stopped the And actually, I ended up editing so much of it out because as I was listening back to it, I just felt like, oh my God, anybody listening to this is going to misinterpret it as wasaya, wasaya You know what I mean. That النقد والتنظير ذاك بتاع المغتربين اللي عاملين فيها خبراء استراطيين واخترعوا السياسه وما في زال بيعرف احسن منهم ديك. I didn't want to come across as that. Truthfully, I have a lot of thoughts about what's happening. And most of them are negative, frustrated, rageful, angry thoughts. And I'm desperate to express them somewhere, right? It, they're just like applying pressure in my skull and I want to get them out. But I also recognize that as someone who isn't currently located in Sudan, it would be really easy for anybody listening who is in Sudan to take my thoughts and feelings as the under-informed and hubristic criticism of the privileged. And I mean, they wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> I firmly believe in the validity of these thoughts and feelings and in my right to express them. Like, I have a right to my opinion regardless of where I live as somebody who identifies as a Sunnis person. Like, of course. But I also recognize that this is a very delicate time for Sudan and for a Shaba Sudani and that there's a time and place for things and now is just not the time for someone like me to be uh, loudly broadcasting their despondence it just isn't which is why i was so lucky to come across slash remember slash think of a tour in love republic 
original title Yawla fi Yamuriyat al-Hub Muhammad Kurdufani's short documentary on the Khartoum sit-in uh, during the 2019 revolution. Full disclosure, this film <laughs> Are you ready? This film was released in 2020. Yeah, I am a little late. <laughs> but صراحةً يعني one year after الحدث الشنيع داك I wasn't ready yet. I still couldn't bear to see any images of the sit-in, especially seeing it in its full heyday, full of life and promise, and knowing, knowing the calamity that would eventually befall it. I mean, I was thousands of miles away, but I watched it happen in real time. Yeah, obsessively looking for one life after another until the final broadcast cut off. It took almost four years, but I have finally gathered the courage to press play on this documentary. And I'm so glad I did. Shot over a 24-hour period during the month of Ramadan, Jawla, I'm shortening Jawla fi Yamuriyat al-Hub into Jawla. And in shortening it, I'm actually just making it longer. Whatever, you get it. Jawla gives us a glimpse into what has often been described as the utopian world of the Khartoum Sidin, a.k.a. I'tizam al-Qiyada. One of the standout characteristics of the Sidin was this feeling of togetherness that reigned. I'm a person who grew up at a time when Sudan was becoming more and more fragmented, socially, culturally, and eventually physically so. And I saw that fragmentation play out not just on Sudanese soil, but also in the different communities across the diaspora that I lived in. So this this spirit that was being cultivated at the sit-in was a dream that I really held close to my heart. And one I feared would never become a reality, but also at some point I, to be honest, believed that it would never become a reality. But for that moment in time, relationships seemed to be mending before our very eyes. We as a people were very, very quickly relearning how to truly be in community with one another, regardless of which corner of the country we hailed from. This sense of community is apparent from, I mean, throughout the entire film, from the opening scene where you see these smiling faces greeting passersby all the way to the very to the very end of the documentary. As this woman rightly mentions, this communal spirit is not new. It's one of the core elements of Sudanese culture, one that was damaged and distorted by 30 years of the Inqaz regime, as she says. So in many ways, the sit-in was like a social and cultural reset, taking Sudan and his people back to their essence. Perhaps the biggest success of the revolution was that for the first time in 30 years, Sudanese people felt and believed in their right to ownership over their own country and over their fates as citizens. I mean, we were gaining this confidence uh, by taking to the streets and protesting, but I also felt it in the discussions that were taking place at the sit-in. 
For the first time, regular people were voicing their political opinions loudly and in public, right? I mean, we're not talking about activists or freedom fighters who willingly and knowingly put themselves at great risk for the sake of collective freedom or for the sake of... We're talking just regular, regular, everyday people who finally felt like their voice meant something outside of their living rooms. The revolution helped them find the freedom and the power not only to demand more, but to allow themselves to expect more of their government. Think about that for a sec. Like, for 30 years at least, we navigated our lives truly believing that like this was just the way it was, these are how governments are. And now it's like we woke up from that slumber, like where the actual belief that, hey, no, you should be doing something for me. You should be providing me with these services. It is your responsibility to take care of me. That's huge. And to be able to then not only have that thought and believe it, but also be able to express it like I said, loudly and openly and in front of other people and in front of anybody, in front of the military. That's huge. That's monumental. That's life-altering. And the sit-in was the place where they practiced that. That that was a new skill that we as a people gained that we were now putting into practice at the sit-in. <laughs> This documentary uh, shines a light on two elements of the sit-in that are probably my favorite out of everything that came out of it. The first is education. Mohamed Kurdufani shows us the different ways that education was incorporated into the daily activities of the sit-in, from political education through speeches and roundtable discussions. I don't know what to call it, but like people just get around in a circle <laughs> and talk about things. Or there'll be, you know, a speaker who who says some stuff, uh, talks about uh, the importance of a constitution, talks about basic human rights, talks about whatever, whatever the topic may be. And then, you know, the people who are listening to that person engage with them. Uh, and sometimes, you know, with opposing views, sometimes asking for more clarification, whatever. Um, but this education wasn't just given like through these regular methods that we expect, but also through things like theater. And, you know, they also used media, especially radio broadcasting. Uh, like one of the awareness campaigns that I hadn't previously heard of that was a surprise to me watching this film was... Um, a public health and hygiene segment that apparently was broadcasted daily over this radio system that they that just volunteers had set up. This idea of a public health and hygiene segment um, isn't surprising considering the elevated level of 
hygiene and <laughs> cleanliness. I mean, that's not really the word that should fit here, but yes, also that. But what I like about this is that it can so easily be overlooked as something small or insignificant or not important in the grand scheme of things, but it has so much impact because it really is one of the things that's sorely lacking. Part of the reason why uh, uh, Khartoum is such a dirty city, which is wild if you consider just how much we as a people, as a culture, stress cleanliness. There's a there's a, a dissonance there. And I mean, I want to talk about all the ways that that is probably <laughs> purposefully done, but a discussion for another time. But anyway, I say all that to say that this is just a small reminder of the ways in which the sit-in was a place, an actual physical space where we could freely reimagine Sudan, unencumbered by the limitations of authoritarianism, of social pressure, and of our own frustration and despondence. And how uplifting that must have been. And speaking of uplifting. When the hashtag is my most absolute favorite element of the sit-in was the art Oh my god, the art. So much art. So many different kinds of art. All the art. Even the way the arts are highlighted throughout this documentary is artful in and of itself. Mohamed Kurdufani manages to weave it seamlessly into the larger story. Basalt was sura. He captures protesters singing Ayman Mao's iconic revolutionary music, then fades the original track in, making it the score, as these clips of different artworks that adorn the sit-in area flow one after the other on screen. There's also a moment in the film when Sudan's artistic past and present come together in the most precious way. So traffic is backed up on uh, Shara Anil, and protesters are taking over the road. Uh, they have a speaker system set up over a car that's parked on the median. <laughs> and what Wadi, music is blaring from the speaker system. And people are chanting and dancing, and the vibe is just so electric and conveys all the joy that people were feeling at that time. That pure deep down in the depths joy that was missing from people's lives for so many decades i watched that scene and thought about all that hope and optimism and joy and all i could think was did those elated energized faces know that three years later they would still be fighting to realize their dream and how many of them are still fighting <laughs> This is the moment in the film that took me out of that euphoric nostalgia and slapped me back into reality. 
a speaker on the stage fills the crowd in on the day's proceedings. So negotiations are taking place between the forces of freedom and change and the military. The man on the mic confirms that the previous demands discussed have been ratified without concession or compromise, and the crowd erupts in cheers. He then reveals that negotiators are currently deciding on the power-sharing breakdown. So this is how many civilian and how many military representatives will make up the council that will lead the country through the upcoming transitional period. This announcement is met with the jeers and whistles of an outraged crowd. Chants immediately erupt, accusing the military of stalling. One man then jumps the barricade that separates the crowd from the stage and makes a beeline for the man on the mic. When you watch the film, take a good look at him when he tells the guards that he just wants to talk. That isn't just rage on his face. It's also bewilderment. Young men crowd around the cameraman, talking about the need to go back to protesting in the streets. The film then cuts to a woman sitting behind an orange water cooler, the expression on her face one of both hurt and resolve, her fist raised high in the air. When I tell you goosebumps, that one image of that woman, <laughs> there was so much emotion in that one shot, and it really just said everything. And it, it, set the tone for the end of the documentary, which was, you know, a deep desire for change, but also an intense fear that things will remain the same. And that's exactly, <laughs> exactly how I feel. All in all, Jaula Vigamoria del Hub was truly the right film for me to watch in this moment because the film filled me with this beautiful nostalgia. I mean, I'm not sure I can use the term nostalgia as somebody who only knows the sit-in through like photos and videos, but that's really what I felt. I felt nostalgic watching it. Um, and it also validated so many of the feelings, ironically, that I've been struggling with lately regarding what's happening for Sudan, especially or particularly the like dejection that I feel when I think of all that potential and promise that were disrupted by the massacre and then of course decimated by all the events that followed. I think one of the most upsetting side effects of the June 3rd massacre and the subsequent of events is that it managed to almost gaslight us back into believing that what was cultivated at the Khartoum sit-in was some improbability, an impossibility even, that could never happen again. I mean, is it just me? Maybe I'm alone in this, and please let me know if you feel the same or not. But after everything that's happened, especially in the last year with this coup, the Khartoum sit-in almost feels like, like it was all just a dream. So the biggest gift this film could give me is the reminder that the sit-in happened, that it was real, that those beautiful and radical changes that materialize in the people who participated in it actually happened. There are some points that I thought 
were missed opportunities for the doc- documentary. Um, yes, I recognize that this is a 40-minute film, so not everything can be covered. Um, but one thing that I thought, yeah, the door was opened for us to address it or for the, for the film to address it, but it just wasn't, was the Columbia issue. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Columbia was a section of the sit-in area that was, for whatever reason, painted as a den of drugs and sin, and it was widely used um, as a way to discredit the sit-in, to discredit the protesters and the revolution itself. Um, early in the documentary, someone mentions, in sort of like just general way, the misinformation and the misconceptions surrounding the sit-in and its participants, and we heard a lot of that of like, oh, then hatala, whatever, like everybody who's <laughs> everybody who's at the sit-in doesn't have anything better to do. They're all like wayward people. Um, so I thought that was the perfect in for. For, for something to be said about Colombia, right? You know, this could have been a way to cement the legitimacy of Colombia and its occupants, you know, the people who were in that section in history. But I also acknowledge that, like, <laughs> that's a really polarizing issue, this issue of Colombia, and not everyone uh, agrees with my perspective on things. But yeah, you know, I don't know, whatever. Watch the movie is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think you should watch it, especially if you are somebody who didn't have the chance to be there at the sit-in, like me, but unlike me, weren't obsessively searching for and watching every Facebook Live known to man, sometimes two at a time. I'm not even kidding. I would have two windows open, two tabs, two windows, whatever. One would be one live, the other would be another live, and whoever had the better connection is where my focus is at. Your connection went out, your live broadcast paused, I would immediately go to the other tab. If somebody was search, was sharing a third live, I would open that. It was a mess. I barely slept. Fagutureshinu is a solo podcast hosted by me, your host, Sarah. شاركوني تعاليقكم وآراءكم ونسدكم الفارغة والمليانة في الكومنتات في SoundCloud وفي الإنستغرام at BS on Blast. ما بسون BS on Blast. You can hit me up on Twitter too, but uh, I don't be on there all like that anymore. Twitter is a Titanic and I can't swim. Bye!